Let's pray as we stand. Almighty God, you are great and greatly to be praised. You give us every good gift. And so, Lord, these gifts that we have given now are only us giving back to you what is already yours. We pray that you would use them and, and those given through the week to support your work here in Nottingham and uh, across the world. Uh, Lord, would you call many to you, that there might be many more who proclaim your name, your great and glorious name. As we come to your word now, would you, by your spirit, be at work in our hearts, that we might be those who listen with soft hearts, ready to receive your word to us and to put it into practice, that we might bring glory to your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, please do take a seat and uh, keep your Bibles open at Exodus 15 and 16. Back in 1906, the American journalist Alfred Henry Lewis wrote that there are only nine meals between mankind and anarchy. It's an idea that's been repeated many times since, that, that no matter how organized and, and stable a society is, no matter how ordered and obedient a people may be, if we think we might be at risk of want, if we go without for just three days, well, then the gloves are off. Anything goes. We will do whatever it takes. We saw a little bit of it here, didn't we, uh, a few years ago as the COVID pandemic loomed. I remember walking around the Sainsbury's just over the bridge a day or two before the first lockdown was announced. The shelves were empty. And back then, well, it wasn't even a real shortage. It was just the possibility of one, just the potential for us to be forced to go without. That was enough to drive panic buying all over the country. And not only food, if you remember, but fuel and also toilet paper. It doesn't take much, it seems. Even in a, a stable, wealthy, secure society like ours, to make us all feel on edge, to push us towards chaos and disorder. Three days, Lewis reckoned, just three days. And our opening verses this evening suggest that he may well have been on to something. Verse 22 of Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. It's been three days. For three days, the ancient Israelites have been traveling. Three days. Three days since what? Well, three days since they took part in the most astonishing rescue. Three days since the Lord, Yahweh, brought them out of slavery in Egypt. 
Three days since Yahweh had parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they might walk through on dry ground. Three days since Yahweh brought those same waters crashing back, engulfing Pharaoh's army, ridding the ancient Israelites once and for all of their oppressor, their enemy. Three days since the whole community of ancient Israel had sung the praises of their rescuer God, had danced with tambourines. Sing to the Lord, they'd cried out. Sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. But three days is enough. Enough to make your world look very different. Let's read on verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? They've been part of of something magnificent. They have seen through the plagues, through the Passover, through the Red Sea. They have seen who their God is. A God of power, stronger than Pharaoh. A God of justice, dealing with those who perpetrate evil and oppression. A God of mercy, saving those who don't deserve it. A God of his word, bringing to pass all that he has promised. And yet after three days in the wilderness, the people are not so sure. In just three days, they've begun to wonder, begun to question, can God really be trusted to provide? Can he really be relied upon? Is that really who he is? And so they grumble. They turn on Moses and and Moses, well, Moses turns to the Lord. Verse 25, then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling, an instruction for them, and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. In response to the grumbling of his people, Yahweh provides. He makes the water drinkable. He sustains and and upholds his people. But he also gives them an insight into his wider purposes for them. He will continue to be their God. He will continue to provide for them. And he will put them to the test. That's maybe not what we expect here. Perhaps those words jar slightly with us. Is this the God who has been revealed over the course of this narrative? Actually, yes, it is. Here is a perfectly holy God who in his grace has bought for himself a people who do not deserve his favor. 
And here is a God who in his kindness will work to make that undeserving people pleasing to him. You see, it's vital that we understand what this test is and what it is not. It's not an entrance exam, a way in, a means by which the people might gain God's favor. No, that has already been given. Notice the the water is made palatable before the test is announced. We've seen all through, haven't we, that the ancient Israelites are not deserving of Yahweh's salvation. He's not chosen them because they're better, because they're more obedient. No, in fact, if anything, we're going to see in the chapters ahead, uh, they are a profoundly disobedient people. And so this test is not an entrance exam by which they might come in. Rather, it's more like a a training regime, whereby they might be made into the people their God intends them to be. Elsewhere, we find the the metaphor of refining, of, of purifying, as the Lord works to make his people his people. He is the Lord who heals. It's not just that he doesn't do to them what he did to the Egyptians. It's also that he does work in them to shape them, to to form them through their experience of life, through their experience of him and his decrees. We'll see time and time again that they fail the test, that they do not listen, they do not pay attention, they do not keep his laws. And yet in his mercy, he continues to work through those laws. And even through their failure to keep them, he continues to work to make them a people of his very own, his treasured possession. The testing of God's people is not determinative of their salvation but it is effective for their sanctification. It doesn't earn his love, but it does bring about his transformation. And as if to underscore that distinction we read in verse 27, then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camped there, near the water. This is not a a reward for passing the test. They haven't. This is the gracious provision of the living God for his people. A provision which includes the shaping and refining of their hearts by the testing they will receive. In sweetening the waters of Marah, in in guiding them to Elim, Yahweh had shown himself to be the faithful provider to his people. The God who could be trusted to sustain those he loves. And that should have prepared the ancient Israelites for the test they were about to encounter. Verse 1 of chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. 
In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Well, once again, the ancient Israelites find themselves in need, and once again, they grumble. Not only have they forgotten the Exodus, they've now forgotten Mara and Elim as well. But their words here are, are astonishing. If only we died in Egypt, we were far better off there. Of course, what they claim is not true. As slaves, they, they weren't sitting around pots of meat. They were abused and ill-treated, overworked and exploited. But perhaps even more amazing is the Lord's response. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and, and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Yahweh's patience, his forbearance, his forgiveness, his generosity are remarkable. Not only will he provide for his people, he will rain down bread from heaven. And so do you see, once again, the, the cycle begins. The people are in need. Their response is to complain, to grumble. But their gracious Lord responds to them with abundant provision. But notice, too, that, that this provision also comes with a test, with a training regime that, that will shape the ancient Israelites into the people that the Lord would have them be. He will give them instructions concerning the, the gathering of this heavenly bread, and they must follow them. What will this achieve? How, how will it train and shape the people? Well, well, Moses and Aaron give a very clear answer as they address the gathered community. Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Back in Egypt... Yahweh had revealed himself as his righteous judgment fell on those who oppressed his people. The plagues and the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea. 
They had come that the people might know that he is Yahweh, the God who is. Now, in the wilderness, well, now Yahweh will reveal himself as his generous provision falls on those he has set free. By this bread, they will know that he is Yahweh. And once more, the the Lord's provision is abundant. Not only does he provide bread, but but he provides meat as well, quail that, that cover the camp. You can imagine the astonishment of the ancient Israelites as as first the birds flock into their midst, only to be replaced by these curious flakes, something like Frosties or Honey Nut Cornflakes. What is it, they ask, which in Hebrew sounds like manna, the name they gave to, to what would become their staple food for the next 40 years. And as they gathered those honey-tasting flakes day by day, so they were to be reminded of who their God was, of who their God is, the gracious provider. And they were to be reminded, too, of his faithful character. Each day there was the right amount for each family. Everyone was provided for. The one who gathered much, we're told in verse 18, did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And yet remember the test. The Lord had given instructions that the people were not to hoard the manna. They were not to store some up for later, a little nest egg just in case. Moses said to them, verse 19, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. The test was was designed to build their trust, to, to exercise, if you like, their muscles of faith by leading them to rely day by day on the Lord's provision, so they were to be instilled with an innate dependence on him, a deep-rooted recognition that, that without him they had no hope. Failing the test didn't stop the supply of manna. No, rather, in his kindness, even failing the test helped to shape and mold the relationship that the ancient Israelites had with their God. You can imagine, can't you, the the conversation around the breakfast table. Ugh, this manna's moldy. Look, it's got maggots in it. Well, Dad, Moses and Aaron did say something about not keeping it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right, they did. We'll just have to hope that there's more again today. Oh, look, what's that on the floor outside? And so day by day, whether they'd passed the test or not, so the test shaped them, refined them, strengthened their faith in Yahweh their God. 
What a kindness. What a loving provision. And God, in his kindness, even uses the manna to reinforce a rhythm already known to his people. On the sixth day of each week, well, well, they were to gather extra. Enough for the next day as well. That manna didn't go off. That manna sustained them all through the Sabbath. So that they might know the Lord's rest. This is their God. A holy God of justice who will see evil punished. And a generous God of grace who will see his people cared for. And will shape them into a a beloved people of his very own. Ready to enjoy the rest that he has prepared for them. That's what they were to see then. And it's what each of the generations to come were to see as well. As they looked at that jar, as they heard of the the curious substance inside, as they were told once again the story of their great God's great provision for their ancestors. So they would know who this Yahweh is. And so you see, there's a sense in which This episode in the life of the ancient Israelites, well, it gives us a paradigm, a blueprint for the life of all believers. To this day, Yahweh is the same God, a holy God of justice and a a generous God of grace. And so many in this room will be able to testify to the kindness of that same God in their lives. Providing for them day by day. Teaching and and training them to rest on him more and more. As they experience the reality of his faithful provision. And that reality ought to shape our, our whole perspective on all of life. Just as it was designed to shape the ancient Israelites all those years ago. God's faithful Day-by-day provision should give us great joy and confidence. Yes, in, in times of plenty, the Lord has provided, but also in times of need. We may trust that the Lord must be at work in those moments of testing. Training and, and shaping, refining and purifying, making his people Saved by grace, making us more and more into the people he delights in. Friends, when we struggle to to feel his goodness in all the ups and downs, praise God, we have something far better than a jar of manna to look on. For we today may look on the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of his glorious Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's no accident that that during his life on this earth, Jesus of Nazareth repeatedly made reference to the events of the Exodus. Yahweh had provided sweet water 
and abundant water for his people at, at Mara and Elim. But they would go on to thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give them, declares the Lord Jesus in John 4, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Yahweh provided bread for his people in the wilderness for 40 years. But they would hunger again. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That glorious provision of, of Yahweh to his people in the desert, it was always designed to train their hearts, to direct their eyes towards his ultimate, wonderful, matchless, boundless provision in his son, Jesus Christ. The great God who, who brought justice in ancient Egypt. The gracious Savior who, who brought freedom to ancient Israel would one day come himself in the person of his son to bring justice to all the world, freedom to all those weighed down and enslaved by their sin. And friends, you know how those around him responded to Jesus' declaration that he was the bread of life? Do you know what they did? They grumbled. John 6, verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise, up at the, uh, I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can fully and finally provide for our every need. Only he can, can truly quench our thirst and satisfy our hunger. Only he lived a life of perfect obedience, fully submitting to the Father's will. He was tested in the wilderness too. He was tested in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He was tested on the cross of Calvary. And he passed with flying colors. The only one ever to live this life just as his father intended. And brothers and sisters, every time we share communion together, every time we share a loaf of bread between us, we are to be reminded, reminded that Yahweh is a God who provides. Reminded of the manna given daily to his people. Reminded of the daily provision that we enjoy. Reminded of the precious life of his son. Lived in perfection. Given up in obedience. Restored and ascended that in him we too might have life. Here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die, he said. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which is given for the life of the world. Let's pray. Oh, generous Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who provides, who provides abundantly, who provides graciously, though we do not deserve it. We thank you most of all, Lord, that you have provided your son, Jesus Christ. And that in him, we might find the bread of life. That through his flesh, we might know everlasting life. Oh Lord, would you make us those who are quick to remember and slow to forget. That we might remember day by day your provision for your people. In ages past, in the present, and through your son Jesus Christ in the age to come. Might we be those who trust who daily give ourselves to trusting in you, the God who provides. Lord, as we come to communion in a moment, might that be to us a beautiful reminder of the bread of life come down from heaven, given for the life of the world. Amen.